The Bundesliga, it is back. I repeat, the Bundesliga is back. After weeks of discussing COVID-19 and not having any football to watch, there is seemingly light at the end of the tunnel. This Thursday, May the 7th, DFL boss Christian Seifert told the media that the Bundesliga will return on Saturday, May the 16th. And the fact that the Bundesliga is returning is, of course, going to be our main discussion point on this episode of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. My name is Nicholas Wiltzeigen, and as always of late, I'm joined by journalist and Bundesliga expert Matt Herman. Yes, yes, indeed. And and howling wolf specialist, uh, at least at this particular hour. I, I am kind of excited about the return of the Bundesliga. It's been a really big part of my life for the last decade plus. So despite my mixed feelings, it, it is an exciting time. It is, it is. I mean, we are trying to see out 82 matches. How is this going to go? So many questions and a lot of speculation, so little in the way of answers. But we'll be diving straight into that in part one of the show. In part two, we'll be taking a close look at your listener questions, whilst our history segment tells you the story of how Franz Backenbauer was closer than he'd ever wished to, to a life as a phone sex operator. All of that is to come. All right, we already told you so, but it is the biggest news of the day. The Bundesliga, it is back. Kickoff, May 16th. The season will continue with match day 26. No Friday night match this time around, uh, mainly because of a dispute with Eurosport regarding payments for the, for the TV rights, as I gather. So, May 16th, Bundesliga being back. What, what do we think of the Bundesliga actually getting to play again? And what do we think of the return date? If you ask me, um, I, I think that this is probably an okay idea from a safety perspective. I think they're probably going to be able to make it work at least for a few match days. <laughs> uh, if if uh, the, 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 the video taken by uh, Solomon Kalu, which I'm sure we'll be talking about later, is any indication uh, <laughs> those safety measures may only hold for a, a short while. But I'm a little surprised that they're pushing it to to the 16th of May. I would have thought that because of some of these rules with competitive balance, the fact that some of these teams have have had longer to practice with each other than others, they might have done the 23rd. But, you know, as we've talked about before, they want to get those games in before everybody's contracts run out on, at the end of June. So they're tapping their watches, talking about how time is money. They're being very German about this. Well, Werder Bremen wanted indeed a later start to the season or restart to the season as the club was actually forced to play in groups of four uh, until just now, basically. Whilst the rest of the league had considerable larger groups, I mean, FC Köln and North North Rhine-Westphalia, they had 12 players in one group. Werder had four players in one group. So you see competitive balance not necessarily given. However, looking at the schedule that the DFL just posted for Werder, Werder have 41 41 days to get 10 matches out of the way because they have a match in hand against Eintracht Frankfurt as well, remember? So that is going... I mean, if you'd started seven days later, how would you be able to do that by June the 30th, really? Hey, is... I, I, I'm not. I'm not the the man with the calendar. I mean, where would I even get a calendar? <laughs> do they have calendars on computers and phones? I mean, where? How how do we work this stuff out? Yeah, 
Difficult, difficult. I mean, that's that's why the planners of the Bundesliga probably make millions, and we don't. There you go. Since since Werder Bremen happens to be your team, and there was some consideration given to you know their their concerns about having uh, a little bit less time than other teams. I mean, the, the solution that the the good uh, the good burgers of of DFLville uh, came up with the man with the calculators. There you go. Um, came up with to sort of give them a little bit of a throw them a bit of a bone was to allow them to start. Their, their resumed season on a Monday, the dreaded Monday fixture. In this case, maybe it's not so dreaded. Maybe another couple of days to get ready for that game uh, is welcome. I understand you're going to be watching. Uh, yes, I am. I am going to be watching. I, I will be watching that. And um, to be honest, uh, I've never seen the Vizzer starting without any spectators. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've, I've seen matches of Verde Amateure in the Cup being played in the Vizzer starting in front of a crowd of at least a couple of thousands. Which, you know, it's, it's not to say that it was brilliant, but at least there was some atmosphere, some fans there. Um, so now it's going to be very, very different because you just have the players, the coaches, and basically people who are there to do their work, nobody else. And, and that is going to be spooky. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it throughout the entire match. And, you know, on match day 26, there, there's a special match for your team as well, isn't there? Are you going to be watching that? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll definitely be watching that one. That that of course is the Berlin Derby. Um, that would have been you know uh, played you know a good month and a half ago at this point. I mean, I quite unfortunately wasn't going to be able to make it to that one uh, uh, back in March. I understand you were, um, but I am bracing at the bit to see uh, another game between Hertha and Union, considering how badly the last one went, both on the pitch for Hertha and you know. Off the pitch, frankly, as well. So no, no know, crowd trouble this time around. Anything less than a six-nil win. Anything less than a six-nil win. <laughs> I'm, I'm be, I'm well, um, we talked about this before um, on, on on the previous episode. The Bundesliga actually has a skeleton crew of you know, and with players and staff from teams included, and the skeleton crew working at the stadiums. Three hundred twenty-two people are going to be present at each match. So we talked about. In order for the Bundesliga to return, some of the other restrictions that were go that were in place at the time needed to be lifted as well. Um, to keep you up to date on that, there are still very strict guidelines, but some of the restrictions have indeed been lifted or changed. For instance, the state travel ban that several states have put in place, which didn't allow from people from outside the state to enter said state has been lifted in most places. Uh, hotels can now welcome tourists once again, so travel for leisure is once again possible. And restaurants can reopen under very, very strict hygienic guidelines. So we're not quite there yet where we can have a pub with 100 people in said pub, even if it's a very big pub. But we're getting towards that point, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And it seems now, to me anyway, that... that it, it, you know, if if the Bundesliga had attempted to return um, much sooner than they are looking to do now, it would have been, I don't know, it would have bordered on the absurd in my mind. Um, we're getting little by little toward the point where it seems, I don't know, if not inevitable, but it seems like at least in Germany where uh, the, the sort of testing and tracing uh, procedures have probably been conducted better than, than just about anywhere else in, in Europe. 
it seems like it's still a little risky. You know, I mentioned again the, the video every everyone at uh, Hair to Practice shaking hands and, you know, watching each other at close range as they get their cheeks swabbed, etc. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem like this is, is a fantastic notion to, to get at least 100 people together in one of three zones in a stadium and conduct a football match without great risk for the people involved. <laughs> well, talking about great risk for the people involved, uh, there was an interview with uh, FC Köln midfielder Birger Vastreit uh, on the Belgian TV channel VTM. And the, the, the Köln player talked about three positive COVID-19 tests for the team. He was then quoted in the German press saying, I don't feel like playing football. And if you ask players anonymously, they might tell you the same. His girlfriend is in the risk group because she has a heart condition. And the midfielder said he worked out with one of the players who tested positive. Plus, he was treated by the physio who tested positive on numerous occasions. So, additionally, Vestrade added that he wouldn't be surprised if the next round of testing would reveal further positive tests, which it didn't. And he said that training continued without any measures being implemented. He then later rebuffed on those quotes in, surprise, surprise, an internal publication for FC Köln saying that he was mistranslated and there was, you know, things were lost in translation and he acted on emotion rather than knowledge. And he said that if he'd spoken to the club's doctor, he would have known that all the measures that needed to be taken were in fact taken. But something tells me that somebody at that club took aside said midfielder and put him very much into place following that interview. Yeah, yeah, we've seen, you know, not only with that example, um, but but with others, which which we'll get to, players who sort of don't hold to the party line of getting the league started back up again have certainly been, let's just say, discouraged from sharing their views <laughs> in any significant way. It's something, it's one of the things I actually feel most uncomfortable about, and I think we talked about this on our last episode, talking about the sort of you know, implied code of silence that was going to be imposed on uh, on, on teams. You know, the one in which basically it, it's it's been decreed that if you have a positive test at the club, that that clubs are are discouraged from you know singling out which players or staff members uh, have actually uh, tested positive. Which we've already seen examples. The DFL has, has actually gone further now, saying that clubs shouldn't report the test results at all. So if you have a positive test, don't tell the public. We just we just sum up saying, okay, we've had 10 positive COVID-19 tests and we don't tell you which clubs we're talking about. That's where we're at. So we've gone one step further than we expected the last time around. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I know where they're coming from, from a sort of controlling the narrative aspect. I mean, you know, I've certainly both watched enough uh, Bundesliga and participated in, in, you know, media stuff around the Bundesliga for long enough to know that controlling the narrative is, it, the narrative is so hugely important to, to, you know, clubs like that. But there are definitely borders that they might bump up against um, should things go sideways. I mean, you know, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's okay to follow that plan as long as you don't end up with a team 
where, you know, you get six, seven, eight, nine guys testing positive and they're starting to, you know, the injury list, quote unquote, is starting to grow. And, you know, all you can't just say that someone <laughs> has a pulled hamstring uh, when they're actually at home Um <laughs> You know, quarantine. <laughs> well, that new physio, he really didn't know his stuff. So uh, we've got nine guys out with a pulled hamstring. So that, that hamstring exercise, we're going to drop that from our training going forward. But, um, you know, that that's where we're at here. Here at Borussia Mönchengladbach. No, I mean, I mean, but ultimately, uh, I mean, this is going to lend a lot of room to speculation. Uh, because when a club tells you, oh, this guy, he um, he's just t- torn, a, torn a muscle. He'll be back in three to five weeks. People are going to think: Are they going? Are they telling me the truth? Is it a positive COVID nineteen test? So, you know, and, and the Bundesliga club suddenly quoting that there is "quote unquote" a right to privacy for the players involved. Honestly, um, they com- communicate about player injuries about guys who are so, excuse the language, fucked up on painkillers still because they've just returned from the operating table and the public knows about the the operation they've been through, how successful it was, what kind of injury they have. Basically, as soon as the players know that themselves. However, when it comes to COVID-19, no, we, we suddenly discover privacy for the player involved. Yeah, yeah. And it also sort of goes against, um, you know, we had our we had our German lesson last week with uh, uh, Sondergenehmigung. Uh, this week's uh, German lesson is going to be Vorbildsfunktion. I really think that that you know that the meaning of that, by the way, is is like a, a role model function for society, which which football at times likes to hold itself up to, and, and at times likes to try and escape from. At the moment, I think they are trying to employ that Vorbildsfunktion as being like, well, you know what. Maybe not all businesses can handle operating at full steam ahead uh, at a time like this, but we are so good at running our stuff that that we can handle this. We are going to be a role model for society. And you know what? If you're hiding the results of of COVID tests and you're you know sort of playing something of a shell game with the public about how well your measures are working, that's not really very forbidlish, is it? <laughs> it's not very role modelish, no. And talking about being forbidlish, let's change topics and let's cover you team some more. <laughs> Here comes the sentence of the season. <laughs> No, no, I'm joking, it's fine. So here you hear Hertha's physiotherapist, Delmar, who was about to take a COVID-19 swap of defender Tour Riga as he sees Salomon Kalu entering the treatment room. So, Matt, we can't, we can't not get to that video and not talk about role, being a role model. For those who have lived behind the third rock behind the moon, who haven't seen Salomon Kalu's Facebook live stream, tell them about what happened and how it happened and how it was perceived in the media and by the fans. Sure, sure. Um, the, his Facebook live video, you know, starts super inauspiciously. He's like just driving to training with with a buddy of his and he's, you know, bouncing, you know, nodding his head along to some music. They're having a chat, driving through Berlin. Then they turn up at the training ground and it's pretty clear that everybody 
at the office in at at, at you know Hata Bay say Central is <laughs> just not really <laughs> taking uh, any of the social distancing measures very you know seriously. He you know greets pretty much everybody three, four, five people with a handshake with no sort of, you know, thought to keeping keeping any degree of distance. No disinfecting in between. Totally, totally. As you said, he sort of walks in on uh, Jordan Tarunariga, who's getting his cheek swabbed, despite the fact that there's a sign on the door saying, please, no more than two people in this room at any given time. Some people were concerned about the lack of, you know, heavier precaution on the, the, the team doctor. Uh, and, and he was only wearing a, a regular cloth mask as opposed to an N95 with a face shield. But, you know, that one's a bit of more of a gray area in that, you know, everybody on this team has been tested multiple times in recent days and you don't have to always take maximum precaution if you're not dealing with someone who has is part of a exposure risk group, et cetera. But it just doesn't all look very good when you see a group of, let's face it, highly paid, highly privileged uh, professionals who already are perceived probably quite rightly by many in society as living inside a bubble of, you know, <laughs> luxury, basically acting like, you know, <laughs> Corona, do you, is, is this really a thing? I don't know. Let's just hang out and bump fists and talk about how many percent has been knocked off our paychecks. It just, it did not come off nicely. I mean, I mean that, that, that last bit, I, I do kind of understand because uh, as it turns out, Herta knocked off 15% after yep. they had agreed with the players, a deduction of 11%. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you, earn very well and you agree to a deduction in your pay if your employer then decides to deduct you more than you'd agreed upon yeah you you do get a tad pissed off so that one even though they are very privileged young man that one i do understand because i mean let's let's be honest who of us thinks that it's okay for our employer to knock off more than we'd agreed oh absolutely no i mean basically i totally uh, I'm totally on the same page as you there because I feel like especially when it comes down to the you know the fairness involved because apparently they made errors on some people's paychecks and not others like some guys did have 11% taken off their pay some guys had 15% and and basically the substance of what people were giving them the what for over was you know <laughs> why is this not fair I mean yes I get it when when you come up with an, an agreement, it doesn't matter how much, uh, whether the agreement that you, you, you came to with your employer, whether it's 11 or 15, you got to hold to it. And I, you know, these guys are worth every penny that they're paid. But it was just another layer of PR difficulty for Hertha, for these players personally, for the league in general. And it was... <laughs> it was one of the biggest, you know... <laughs> Herta, let, let's face it, they've, they've not had a great year uh, in the world of public relations. <laughs> Facebook Live. Fa- Facebook, uh, I think uh, Michel Prince is currently reading Facebook marketing for dummies as we speak, just to you know avoid such disasters for next season. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they do hate Facebook by now in the Herta main offices. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I was actually surprised at um at how little lasting impact the story had i thought that the story actually had the potential to derail um the bundesliga's plans to resume if you know i think it's fair to assume that that the behavior of the players uh on that particular morning uh at at hertha training is probably 
you know, as likely as not to be representative of what's happening in other locker rooms around the Bundesliga. I mean, the the uh, the only guy in that video who um, actually is aware of that there's something really wrong going on is the physio who says, please delete that. But it's a live stream, so you cannot delete that. And, you know, there are jokes about Corona, which are not very funny in that video. But, you know, everybody's going around shaking hands, bumping fists. And in Kalu's defense, I, I would have to say that um, even though he's been singled out for blame for the for the entire blame by Hertha and Michael Pretz and all the people who are trying to to spin this now in in the Bundesliga and the team's favor, he's just the cameraman. It's not just him who has no regard for the rules. It's everybody, everybody shown on that video. They don't care. They don't care whatsoever. And Berger was straight in that interview, that interview we talked about earlier. says, you know, the rules are not followed to such an extent that I feel comfortable that we are playing in a safe environment. Now that video comes on top of that. And you might wonder, um, is this sort of something that is not only systemic to one or two clubs? Is that something that goes for the entire league sure sure no i i i would find it hard to believe that uh Hertha would be or you know let's just say Hertha and cologne uh would be the only two clubs at which um social distancing and or a degree of of consciousness uh to about about precautions being taken are, are not being applied so I, I i still worry that that the plan to complete the season in pretty whirlwind fashion uh, is going to come off without a hitch, at least at least when most societies seem to be in a degree of flux over how, you know, how much restriction to retain and exactly when to loosen things and how. Uh, I mean, Germany has been a lot more responsible than my country. <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious to everyone, uh, but I still worry. Weren't you guys supposed to be open by Eastern? Be that other than that, May, um, let's, let's do some other news bits before we move on and give you our opinion on what we think, uh, how this is going to pan out. So here's some uh, other news that you might want to hear about. Kicker reports today that uh, today is Thursday the 7th. Uh, Kicker reports on Thursday the 7th that no refs have been tested for COVID-19 so far. That doesn't look particularly good. We've already told you so, but um, I think it's worth mentioning that a total of 10 ploy uh, players and employees among the staff of Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 clubs tested positive for COVID-19 during the first round of testing. However, what's a bit interesting here is that Köln, with the three cases, continued training, whilst our, a team with one case, quarantined the entire squad until the next round of testing. To see that nobody else was, um, you know, having any COVID nineteen, that is strange. Why? Why do you think there were so vastly different reactions between two sides? I mean, is it maybe that the paper that the DFL has written is misunderstood by one team or the other, or is one team more responsible than the other in this scenario? Oh, I mean, if you want to talk about being responsible, clearly, uh, I was the team that's being responsible here, but. At least from the initial results from the second round of tests at Cologne, as you, as you mentioned when you talked about Prestret uh, earlier, it seems like uh, Cologne maybe uh, has has sort of gotten away with this. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how <laughs> how far <laughs> and, that, and what sort of trouble is is Awa in right now? 
I mean, they are not exactly, and I mean uh, competitive trouble. Like I, I'm, I'm tapping on my my kicker app right now, trying to get the, uh, the table, and you have to scroll for you have to scroll a bit to to find them, don't you? I, I mean, I don't. Uh, no. uh, maybe not. Um, I mean, they're ten. They're ten. They, they are about as dead mid table as you can yeah. get. Ten points off of off of uh, the promotion playoff and nine points off of uh, relegation trouble. So there's not so, an awful lot to play <laughs> there's for. There's not a lot to play for. Brad. So I mean, in that regard, um, compare that to Colin, who might still get relegated, and you see why they the two sides have maybe taken different approaches here. Taking, I, I take that point. Um, Quite cynical of me, I know. Yes. Another bit of news uh, coming from the lower divisions. Uh, the Dritte Liga clubs are complaining about the extra cost that it would run them if they were to finish off the season. The Dritte Liga, the third tier, they voted on continuing the season with 10 clubs voting in favour, 8 clubs voting against it, and 2 clubs sustaining from the vote. So in the end, that meant that the Dritte Liga is actually trying to see out the season as well but most clubs at this level would need a new facilities and b more medical staff to comply with the concept that the dfl and dfb task force have worked out so how is that going to go i mean halisha fc for instance said that in order to comply with the um uh facility regulations that is put that are put in place by this document by the DFL and the DFB, they would have to spend 800,000 euros. That is an awful lot of money. It surely is. And I I think that there, if that is the case, if the, um, the costs are going to be that burdensome for, for third division teams, they really need to have some kind of uh, solution in place because when you impose this sort of uh, regime of regulations, which are really, pretty much put together with with um, first division clubs with a lot of money on hand or at least a lot of TV money coming in soon in mind then <laughs> maybe those teams or those broadcasters or another entity needs to pitch in some money so that the third division clubs can can protect themselves in the way that is is not going to make the first division clubs look bad well i think at the end of the day amateur football and football at lower league level always comes last when it comes to how these things are divided and what we're paying attention to. And um, right now, amateur football needs a helping hand. It needs, you know, these guys, they do live on attendance revenue more than anybody else. I mean, the further down you go, the divisions, the the more, you know, they they just live off, you know, people buying sausages and paying for for the gate. And uh, obviously that's not so much the case in the Bundesliga. And not an awful lot is done or done to help them at the moment so that is something you that should be thought about putting that aside some good public safety news uh, i would say is the fact that free to air sky sports news hd is going to broadcast the conference on bundesliga for the bundesliga and the bundesliga 2 on match day 26 and 27 and that is what we actually talked about on the last episode that they needed to do that yep they they have clearly uh, been, been listening closely to talking foosball. Uh, this is this is a positive development. This means that um, you know <laughs> our own Vorbildsfunktion is is alive and well. And uh, yeah, yeah, good 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 show. Sky Sports News HD. Well done, Sky Sports News HD. Well, opinion time then. Do we think it's right that the Bundesliga return at this point, and do we think that the season is going to be? seen through 
Uh, if I would have to bet, I think the season will be seen through. I think that there might be some bumps along the way. Um, I am not convinced that it's that this precisely, you know, that, that, you know, May 16th is the right juncture to make this happen. And it makes me a little bit sad that it seems to me that the prime reason why they are starting when they are starting and at the pace that they want to, to conduct things is is all about a bunch of contracts. Come on, guys. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, there's got to be something a little bit more important from a sort of public health uh, and, you know, sort of public interest perspective. More important than a bunch of players' contracts, a bunch of TV contracts. I mean, I understand that this is the way our economy <laughs> operates, but this is not a normal time. We need to sort of have the flexibility to change, rip up, etc. all kinds of of contracts and social compacts in order to protect people and society. So, yeah, I'm, I think it's probably a little too soon, but, you know, <laughs> I'll enjoy it. <laughs> well, I mean, to give you my, my two cents about this, it's, I mean, the way we're returning and the fact that we are returning at this given time, it means that we are basically putting our faith into a very fragile concept. The concept is very fragile at best. I mean, there's stuff like make sure that you have enough players in your squad to see out the season. Okay, um, so let's say with youth players on first team contracts, we've got 30 players. But even so, when when are we at a point when we say that a team is not fit to compete? I mean, that, that those sort of grey areas we might bump up against if we're unlucky. And furthermore, let's just imagine... God forbid that somebody, a player or a staff member or a coach, gets seriously ill from this. Having come back at this time would look very, very bad if that were to happen. And that is a very distinct possibility, is what certain uh, physicians tell you. For instance, Karl Lauterbach, member of the German parliament, politician for the Socialist Party, or Socialist, Socialist Democrat Party, he told Norwegian newspaper Verdensgang today that he thinks that the Bundesliga returning is a rather bad idea because that we couldn't be entirely sure that nobody was going to get infected with COVID-19. Sports physician Willem Bloch, who works at the German School for Sports in Cologne, says that um, contracting COVID-19 is potentially endangering players' careers because if you get it far down your lungs, if you are infected far down your lungs, you might get irreversible lung damage. So we're talking both about the health, the safety, and the future of careers of players here. And right now, even with a very good hygienic concept in place, the concept is not worth the paper it is written on if nobody's adhering to it. And that is what the Kalu video displayed. And that is what the Burgover Strait interview displayed as well. So I have my serious doubts, which I hope will not be proven right. Because it really makes me sad to think that this pisses fans off to no end that the Bundesliga is returning. Those who go to the same, those who make the, you know, the, those who sing and who who create the atmosphere. France, the Netherlands, Belgium all have ended their season. So um, why couldn't have the, the Bundesliga have done the same? But, you know, I do understand that is from a monetary position and all that, but, um, Basically, it all boils down to no further missteps can be allowed. 
Yeah, see, you know, I think we're more or less on the same page that right now is maybe not quite the right time to make this happen. But I actually think it was a big mistake for France, the Netherlands, and Belgium to, to finish their seasons and to declare them finished. And in France, you know, they went through that weird, you know, points per game slash strength of opponent mathematical <laughs> uh, solution to figuring out who should have as you know, how many points if, as if the season had been completed uh, in full. I think that's all, you know, dumb. I think that basically if you're going to create an exceptional circumstance and if you're going to recognize the exceptional circumstance that we now find ourselves in, I think it's a big mistake to assume that our circumstances are going to be anything other than exceptional come next season. Like why would they end their season only to get ready for another season, which is also going to be messed up. This is something that I just can't get my head around that. Why would you end your season only to, to have it done in time for the next season, which is also going to be messed <laughs> up. Like it just, just finish this season when you can finish it at the pace that is possible to finish it. And we'll figure out what to do about next season when we're done with this one. It just seems dumb. Well, I mean, <laughs> Thing is, I mean, given the situation in, in France and the Netherlands and Belgium, I mean, the, those three countries have been a lot harder hit by by um, Corona than than Germany. The death rate has been immense, especially in, in you know Belgium and France. Um, I think the thought might just be that okay, we can return under very strict restrictions in September and then start anew. But if we were to finish the season, we might not be able to do so by that given time. Yeah, but I mean, if you if you can't play again until September behind closed doors, guys to Spiele, whatever you, you want to say it, why would you want to start a new season at that point? Why don't you just play as of, you know, match day 27 of this season? I, well, it might just We're be We're going to have a messed up calendar because of the weird winter World Cup coming up as well. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, as, as as we said, the the guys who plan the calendars they make millions, and you you know, given that the European calendars are going to be screwed up in terms of what are you going to do with the Champions League, what are you going to do with the Europa League, and we have a Winter World Cup, and we have the Euros coming up one year late. My God, what are we going to do with that? Well, uh, I think we can knock segment one on the head. We'll be right back with your questions and a bit of history after the break. So here we go. Part two of Talking Foosball starts always with your questions. And the first question comes from Michael Furster. I think that's how his name is pronounced, or Michael Forster. He well, wonders, considering he's from Pennsylvania, maybe it's just Michael Forster. Oh, you know the Pennsylvania Germans? They they do <laughs> many of them pronounce it Forster. I would assume. Anyways, um, he has a question for for our podcast: recommendations for a game day visit in Bundesliga and Bundesliga Two. Where and why? Well, where would you want to go once this? Madness has come to an end and we can hug and get showered by beer once again. <laughs> when can we hug and kiss and drink beer together? <laughs> Nick Vildhagen. We can, you know, maybe skip the second one of the of the three. But, you know, why would we want to deny ourselves that? <laughs> um, this is definitely a fantasy question because I 
you know, I, I've said a number of times, I think it's going to be a while. I think it's going to be a long while before uh, a game day visit in the way that we've all come to know it, you know, hanging out outside the stadium, having Bratwurst and beers uh, for, you know, an hour or so before the game and, and, and lingering afterwards so that we don't get crammed into a, a, an Uban train that's full of too many people. All that stuff is is you know as you can hear in my you know my highly tactile uh, recollections. This is this is fantasy territory. But why don't we why don't we maybe each have like a a top three or like just whatever comes to mind about um, stadium visits or city visits that we have have you know particularly strong feelings about in, in our past experience. Well, you, I'll let you go first with one. We'll go back and forth. All right. Uh, I, well, uh, I top of my head, I, I would start with Berlin because I think it's always one of the best football weekends out there. The, the Olympia Stadion is always nice for the cup final or for, you know, a big Hertha match. Um, additionally, the Alte First Rai, uh is a, is a tiny, cramped, lovely place, which it, it's pro- probably impossible to get tickets to that right about now, um, or if as long as Union stays in the Bundesliga, but great experience. And additionally, you have so much history and so many small sites all around Berlin, which are great for a weekend visit. The Berlin Liga, the sixth tier of uh, German football, brilliant stuff, so much German history. Yeah, you can't go miss with that. So that would be my first pick as a Werder Bremen fan. How about you, Hertha Berlin fan? <laughs> well, just just it's just in uh, you know in, in deference to you, I guess I will I guess I will pick Bremen. It's a stadium I've only been to once, and it was many years ago. I think it was probably back in two thousand six. But I had a really great time. I went to the game by myself. I, I walked around the city before going to the game. It's a very attractive city, and both an, an attractive setting for the stadium. It's you know right on the the Vesa River, which gives it, you know, quite an idyllic feel as as you're approaching the ground, especially if it's, you know, you're getting into like a a late fall sunset situation. It's it's a pretty great place to take in a game. And, you know, even though the the results and the the, the quality of the football haven't really been there in, in recent years, certainly not where they were in 2006, it's an awesome, awesome place to take in the game. And I also, I have a soft spot in my heart for any stadium that is uh, walkable from from the Hauptbahnhof. That's just not all that common in a lot of German cities. It is a long walk, but it's a walkable walk. And, and you know, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I mean, many places you end up at the Hauptbahnhof and you're like, crammed into tiny buses after have been tan- crammed into a, a train oh and you God. have to have like that 25 minute drive to stadium which Dude. is basically and what used to be a field full of corn or whatever you know the trams the trams going to the to the Mungersdorfer Stadion in Cologne are oh, the, the worst the worst only maybe the trams going to Schalke which a stadium I really like yeah, I did like I did like the Veltins Arena. Uh, talking about Köln and Schalke, it means we are in a particular area of Germany, aren't we? If I was to say, go for a great football weekend, I would say, you know, travel to Köln or Düsseldorf. Use that city as your hub, and you have so many great clubs around you. It's pretty much the the density of great clubs in the top four divisions is insane in that area, and you can reach them all by train. Yep. Uh, the Oberliga West back in its day used to be called the Tram League because you basically could travel from match to match by using the tram. So you have, in, you know, just at the top of my head, in, in the Bundesliga, you have Schalke, Dortmund, Düsseldorf, Köln, 
and Bundesliga 2, you've got Bochum. Um, further down the divisions, you have Rot-Weiss-Essen. There's so many, so many great teams. Even even if you want to go even further down the divisions, you have Wuppertaler FC, which has a, a team that has a, a wonderful st- stadium, the Stadium am Zoo. So if you want to go for an entirely football mat weekend, which lasts from, you know, Friday all the way through Monday, probably, that's pretty much the place to go in Germany for me. Yep. I think uh, it, it's impossible to beat Nordrhein-Westfalen. As you said, if you sort of pick Cologne or Dusseldorf as as your the place where you actually stay, you can get to <laughs> what feels like half the league in both divisions just by doing that. If, as long as you're willing to you know spend an hour or as much as maybe an hour and a half on the train, especially in Germany, you can also get these great deals where you you know you buy a ticket that entitles you to regional service uh, throughout the entire state like the the Schönes Wochenende ticket i mean a lot of these tickets also include immediate city slash regional uh, travel in the ticket itself. This is another amazing thing about German going to German football games is, you know, when you buy your ticket to the game, usually if you read the fine print on the back of the ticket, it means you don't even have to buy buy a, a tram or a metro or a train ticket. It, you know, your game ticket is is your, your transit ticket. Usually expires by midnight, so you can sort of, you know, <laughs> go to the match. Um, Sometimes it's 2 a.m. the next morning. Well, <laughs> but anyways, if you go to the match at, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon, there's still plenty of time to drink and, you know, have fun. Uh, what would be your second place to uh, to travel to oh this one is a bit of a funny one because it's it's a place that i don't have uh, uh you know an a super big place in my heart for but i actually really like um i like going to the games there because it's one of the few places you can get to uh, quickly from berlin it's wolfsburg <laughs> i think wolfsburg is actually a really pleasant uh place uh, to go to a game um the town is strange and small and not very lively um especially when you're there on the weekend because it is very much a, a working town uh, a town that has, um, you know, is centered around the the Volkswagen uh, factory. The uh, attendance at Wolfsburg matches uh, depends on the weekend and what sort of shift is in line at the factory plant. I read. I mean, there was a there was a match, uh, in I think it was against Krasnodar in in the Europa League, which they only sold six thousand tickets to, and that was because it was just in the overlap between two shifts. So the workers usually going to those matches you know both sets of them were stuck because of the i think it was 6 or 7 a.m kickoff so um yeah uh wolfsburg is a strange place so um for certain matches uh keeping social distancing matches in place wouldn't have been a problem even before corona yeah, and here's here's a funny uh, little pro tip about if you go to a game in in Wolfsburg and you like to you know shoot little movies of things, um, there are two ways to get from the uh, the Hauptbahnhof to the stadium. You can either go over ground, which is sort of around a few streets and through this outlet mall. That's what I or did. Or yeah. you can, yeah, I did that once. And the next time you can go sort of through the the Falve or the the the, the VW uh, factory complex, taking that elevated moving sidewalk over the train tracks and it's a great way to get like a a, a sort of pro looking tracking shot uh, while you're taking a movie with your phone you can see the you know the sky uh, behind the the stadium in the distance it it looks really fun 
I mean, I've been to one Wolfsburg match and I described it as one of the most horrible experiences of my life because I, I, I didn't like, I didn't particularly like care for the atmosphere of, of the match against Augsburg, which I visited on a Sunday. But, you know, it might have, might have just been the fact that it was a rather empty stadium and not a, you know, great atmosphere. Uh, it's, it's. Did you think about the fact it was going to be a Wolfsburg versus Augsburg game before you went? <laughs> yeah, the pre- previous weekend actually was, um, was in Dortmund, which was a lot more fun. Moving on to my third place, yeah, uh, you know, we cannot get around this. Uh, the Milan Tour in, in Hamburg. Hamburg, great football city, uh, I have to say. Uh, HSV, historic club. Volksburg Stadion has its charm as well. And, you know, there, there are many other sort of clubs worth visiting in Hamburg. For instance, Alton on 93, St. Pauli. Obviously has uh, has a brilliant atmosphere, brilliant fans. Um, you can go to the Fanladen before kickoff, have a beer there, and the, the AFM Abteilung Fjord on a Mitglieder, which uh, you know has its own container where they play, where fan clubs get to play music and sell beer for themselves to you know collect money for for good causes or their own projects. So yeah, um, and add to that blur song too as as, as your goal melody and. Um, yeah, you, you do have a pretty enticing mix. Even though, do not buy into that entire myth of Zang Pauli, which is sold in, you know, gentlemen's magazines about a club which is all about prostitutes, the Reeperbahn, and weird-looking left-wing supporters, because Zang Pauli is, first of all, not that. It is actually much more. But when it comes to... When it comes to how the fans are um well I, I could talk for hours um have a suggestion uh read nick davidson's book pirates punks and politics uh, which is a brilliant book about st Pauli. nice well i mean despite the fact that we already talked about uh you know the the Rua region i don't think we would be uh serving our, uh, our listeners well if we did not talk a little bit more about uh about the westfalen stadium yeah. because it is there's a reason why uh it has a reputation that surrounds it as perhaps the best uh, football atmosphere anywhere. I mean, you know, people talk about, you know, Camp Nou. They talk about Bombonera. They talk about Azteca. You know, a few other stadiums in those sorts, same sorts of like hush tones of like, oh, my God, Anfield would be another. Um, but, yeah, it is rightfully in that league. It's the kind of place where both the actual in-game situation where you see the yellow wall uh, during the game, or if you're lucky, you get to be in the yellow wall, um, as well as just the atmosphere surrounding the ground uh, leading up to the game. I mean, when you have that many people um, gathered together for one purpose in, in one place, especially on a beautiful day, I mean, oddly enough, happily enough, I guess, the times that I've been there, I've been there four or five times, it's always been a really nice day. And, you know, at least and even one of those days, it, uh, you know, it was a, a day in which Hertha beat them in Dortmund. Oh, wow. So that made it a particularly nice day. Uh, but, yeah, it's Dortmund for a game is, is a spectacular day out, um, both the game leading up to the game after the game. Uh, it's And then, then you get to take the train back to Düsseldorf and go to a nice restaurant and, uh, you know, drink and lovely bars in Düsseldorf. Oh, my because, God. Um, Japanese food in Düsseldorf. Get it. Kamp- really good. Kampstrasse. That is a pro tip for you right there. Düsseldorf is actually the German town with the largest Japanese population. So there's a street in Düsseldorf called Kampstrasse, which is just filled with Japanese stores and restaurants. So there are Japanese 
grocery stores, Japanese bookstores, Japanese furniture, even a Japanese hotel is there, for God's sake. Absolutely lovely place. So there, um, Mr. Furster, I think that's how your name was pronounced. Uh, I hope you got a, a bit of... Um, this yeah. is you get a bit of a taste. This of, is what the return of the Bundesliga engenders into Bundesliga maniacs like us. Despite the fact that we know that we aren't going to be able to go to games for any <laughs> meaningful in any meaningful way for a long time, you know, I think we both have have a lot of uh, <laughs> positive feelings toward the the game day experience. Indeed, talking about the game day experience, uh, some fans might not get to have it if the finish if the season isn't finished because as the dfl confirmed pretty much is that 13 clubs on on brink of the insolvency and they would go insolvent if the season isn't finished so aditya balaram uh, wonders what would clubs have to do to be more sustainable that is a big question i mean my my starting point would be that even though the Bundesliga says, well, we are employing 56,000 people and they are depending on us for their jobs. Well, 70% of the money you're actually paying your employees is not going to the largest chunk of the 56,000 people. It's going to the tiniest chunk of them. And that is where you have the most potential to gain ground in terms of being sustainable. Yeah, and that's the the point at which the sustainability argument begins to break down because, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, when you're dealing with teams who are operating, you know, you know, not in a closed model as they do in in like an American sports league where you can sort of have a cartel of owners deciding a, a salary cap that they all sort of hold themselves to. I mean, these are all teams that are operating as entirely independent businesses in a marketplace, not only within Germany, but multiple divisions within Germany, with multiple divisions across Europe. I mean, to control salaries in any meaningful way is going to be a virtual impossibility under the current system, even leaving aside EU regulations. As long as FIFA doesn't step in and say, okay, we cap the salaries all around the world at, you know, that a given amount, say two and a half million euros or something. Well, okay. Yeah, but why would we want to do that? That just means more money for the the rich people <laughs> who, who you know either own these clubs in the case of other countries where, where rich people own clubs, or more money for the partners and sponsors or whatever you want might want to look at. I mean, it would just be stockpiling money. Mm. I mean, it's it's good that the players are the people who are getting the most money out of this game because they're the ones who play it. Well, the question is, um, if, if we don't cap the salaries, uh, which uh, Christian Zeifert actually talked about, that the league should look at itself after this is over and reflect upon what it can do to be more sustainable in the future and capping salaries was one of the things they should talk about. Well, if we don't do that, the other possibility that we do have is generating more income or distributing the income that is in place differently. So if you look at the TV money and which teams make the most money from it, the Bundesliga is actually more uneven in terms of how it distributes the money than, for instance, the Premier League or other leagues all around Europe. That might be the main thing we might have to talk about after this is over. Yeah, and that's a very thorny uh, situation, which also sort of intersects with some of the issues I was talking about before, where, you know, every time any league attempts to sort of turn the screws a little bit on the biggest stakeholders, in Germany that would be Bayern and to a lesser extent, you know, Dortmund, Schalke, etc., 
you know, a lot of those teams just basically threaten to take their ball and go home to say, oh, we're just going to start a European Super League or we're going to, you know, do some sort of break off. I mean, Christ, that's that's in a lot of ways what that's how the, the Premier League started. It was the way that, you know, the top division wanted to keep more money for itself. Well, um, Carlin's <laughs> uh, Rummenig actually has actually said that, well, we should be able to we should be able to we should be allowed to, you know, negotiate TV deals ourselves, each club for themselves. So, um basically the Spanish model, and uh, that pretty much leaves Real and Barca with all the, at Atletico to a lesser extent, with all the TV money, because, you know, who cares about Celta Vigo other than people living where they are playing? Um, not, not a lot of other people. So, you know, that that would be a huge problem, but, you know, that they Bayern and Dortmund, of course, pulling into that direction... Which has meant that we have kept the status quo pretty much in place over the last few years with, you know, minor tweaks here and there over over the course of those years. Moving on to the next question, are matches going to be played at home team stadium is a question asked by at Eric DeLibrarian. Yes, yes, they are. Uh, Christian's life had confirmed that much on Thursday's press conference. Former guest, uh, or a reoccurring guest on this show, uh, Marie Schulte-Bockum, she asked us the following. Your predictions about if and how the playing style will differ to what we're used to. What's the effect on the player's subconscious fear of getting infected, making close contact? Will teams suffer or benefit without the noise and or pressure from the stands? Well, I mean, we did have sort of a preview of what is going to follow during the um, the Gladbach-Köln match, which showed that the intensity of the game being played wasn't necessarily at the same level that you do get when it's the Rhine Derby and it's a packed stadium. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's going to be really, really hard for these players to avoid the kind of, I don't know, like inchoate perception that this is a training <laughs> session <laughs> that this is a game that's happening with very little um immediate stakes uh I, you know I, I understand that you know all of these players have taken part in games whether that means uh, in in a, a training camp in you know <laughs> bergenland <laughs> or in you know uh the, the, the Costa Brava or whatever against random teams in which you know there's only you know 50 or 100, 200 people watching. So it's not going to feel completely alien to them. But by the same token, those games that they play under those circumstances are generally, you know, glorified training sessions. To play a game for real points uh, against a real league opponent under these circumstances is going to feel super weird for these guys. And it's going to be really volatile to see what happens. <laughs> I mean, I, I just one thought popped into my... Um you know when you see those training matches from La Manga and uh, you know all these places uh, in, in the warm south. You know back in the day during the nineties when I watched all these matches for Bremen awaiting the new season, there was always some player you know like Pjorn Schierenbeck who would really stand out during Just those. Tears it up, <laughs> tears it up, and then the season comes and you think, oh Pjorn Schierenbeck, he's really going to make it this season, and you know nothing. I mean, do we? Are we going to get cases uh, like, you know, other players than usually than the usual suspects actually having standout games? Because, you know, during those training camps, there's always one or two guys who uh, really are sitting on the bench or on the stands most of the time who who stand out in these matches. It might it be the case that some of the best 
footballers maybe just need that tension, need the audience to get to that level, to that top level, uh, I don't, which is not a given anymore. I don't think that that would be all that surprising. I, I think we're going to see some very, very strange results. I think we're going to see some very strange games, like the actual playing of the game, the intensity level, the sort of happenings within the game are going to be weird. It's going to be weird. The other thing that always strikes me when, when I've seen games behind closed doors, which happens to be fair, more in, in European competitions than it does in, in domestic ones, typically, is how much you can hear. The weirdest thing is being able to hear the instructions being yelled by a coach to the players or from one player to another, a goalkeeper screaming at his back line. It's funny, like having that tactile experience of the game, which you don't normally get, which is drowned out by the crowd. In some cases, it might even be interesting or or revealing. You know, the, to answer one of the, the sort of many questions that, that Marie posed in, in this about subconscious fear of getting infected slash making close contact, I think at least initially, it's probably not going to be a deal. I mean, <laughs> looking I mean, at... I mean, look, looking, looking at the, at the Hertha squad, it, it, does, it doesn't, 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 doesn't <laughs> yeah. seem like they, they have realized that something is going on yeah. around them out in the outside world. They're doing everything short so. of, of, of hugging and kissing. So I don't think that's going to be a big deal. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of weird stuff. Well, uh, will teams suffer or benefit from the noise? I, I think most teams are going to to suffer. Uh, I think the, I, as I said, the lack of you know intensity is going to be what we are going to witness over the next six, seven, eight weeks. Why don't we get into uh, Bill Reese's uh, question about atmosphere? He he sort of this this is almost the the touching on some of the similar stuff. He asked which clubs are going to hurt, be hurt the most from the lack of mm. home support motiv motivating them. He says he weirdly thinks that Leipzig might suffer a bit because they have kind <laughs> of gotten used to all the abuse they get on the roads, which, which, you know, some of their players probably have learned to sort of feed from that us against the world sort of situation. What do you, what do you reckon about that? Well, Hoffenheim, they're, they're probably going to be uh, <laughs> looking rather amiss when when they don't see a uh, you know Dietmar Hopp being held up uh, you know in, in some sort of <laughs> some sort of disgusting banner in in the in the ultras away end or their home end. You know what? I I do think that Leipzig are actually going to profit from you know this break because they do play high intensity football and that usually wears on teams. And now they've had a six, seven week break where they have recuperated, you know, where the injury niggles have been sorted out, where players are basically at full fitness levels. So I do think they profit in that regard as of how teams are going to react to the atmosphere. It's really, I think it's sort of like mixing up a deck of cards. You really cannot tell. Some teams might, uh, you know, suffer from it. Other teams might thrive from it. It's going to be an utterly weird match day coming up uh, around, you know, May the 16th. And uh, for one, we haven't had an awful lot of team training over the last few weeks. Two, we don't know how the lack of atmosphere is going to affect the teams before we've actually seen this being in action. And, and you know, three, it's going to be utterly, utterly strange for everybody involved. So <laughs> it's hard to tell. But what, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, you know, I, I'm more or less with you. I think the games that we're going to find, um, we're going to find out maybe the most about stuff like this are the games. I mean, you already mentioned uh, the 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 Rhine Derby, which which happened uh, just before uh, the lockdown, as being a particularly weird one, which kind of went the way that a lot of folks thought it would. I mean, maybe maybe Cologne weren't quite 
as in that game as some folks thought. But let's face it, Gladbach are better than Cologne. I thought they would win. They did win. You know, Dortmund's home fixture against Schalke this weekend. Um, Hertha at home against uh, Union next weekend. Those are games that, that, that those particular sets of fans were going to be up for more than just about any other. And um, I'm sure that both sets of home fans are pretty bummed that they're not getting the chance to experience those derbies uh, in, in a more normal way. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the how it plays out in games where, where you know, fan support would have played an outsized role. Let's just go to the next question regarding the atmosphere. Awesome Bill at Awesome Bill 3 on Twitter wonders, will stadiums pipe in cheering from the fans at home on Skype slash Zoom? They should. Set a few extra amplifiers on the yellow wall, he says. Well, there was actually a IT company developing an app which would allow fans to press on four different emotions. I think it was cheering, jeering, singing, and I think there's one more. Well, they, they've got to correspond to applause. emojis, right? Maybe it's the, the surprise, like, open mouth. Whoa! emoji or something like that um so you had those four different emotions and it would allow fans that watch the match to press on those buttons as the match was going on and that atmosphere would then be uh, brought into the stadium however I, I do see two or three problems with that one i think the range of emotions is rather lame <laughs> if i'm if i'm being honest there is um there's an awful lot of more to football than just those four sounds to football support so creating an atmosphere that feels natural is not going to happen i mean even if you add another 10 emotions to that it's not going to happen two what they're basically saying is that they have two fans, sets of fans and they are pumping in the sound from those fans so are you taking any precautions of the home team being louder than the away side for instance I mean, you'd probably have a couple of million Bayern fans and only two or three hundred thousand Fortuna Düsseldorf sympathizers. If, you know, those three million Bayern fans are pressing on the same button time and time again at an away match, it's going to be strange. So, I mean, the, the, that is another point where, where things sort of just, uh, you know, don't make sense to me. And uh, furthermore, what do we really want to create a, uh, what is going to be a sort of plastic cheering atmosphere in order to have something else than the sound of absolute silence? Yeah, on the television screen. I, I take your point. There is there's a lot of there's a lot to work out in terms of creating an atmosphere which is both attractive, that is fair, that is doesn't seem totally contrived. But I think that people are going to figure out pretty quick if they haven't already that watching, um, you know, ghost games is going to be a huge, huge bummer. And to do nothing besides just, you know, point cameras at two teams playing in an empty stadium is really going to be a pretty stupid TV show. Um, and you know, I, I've said this for a long time, uh, just in a sort of tongue in cheek, cynical way, which I kind of mean and kind of, find a bit gross, but it is true that, you know, in a lot of ways, football is just, it's a TV show. It's, that's where lots of the money comes from. That's where a lot of the sort of, you know, sponsorship partnerships, um, the sort of media attention, the, the fact that it's, um, 
that sort of has the presence in, in culture that it does is because it's a really popular TV show. And right now it's even more baldly a TV show because there's not even people um, going to watch it live. And like, this is going to be a really lame TV show. We got to do something else to make it a better TV show. Oddly enough, I'm teaching a sports marketing communication uh, class this semester. And, you know, for for like a a final paper that the, the students did, they all came up with, you know, part of the assignment was to think about ways of innovating either, a, you know, a real game once a league gets back in action or like some other sort of televisable competitive event. Did any, did any one of them have the same idea as Gladbach? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. A lot of people like the, uh, the, the sort of cutout charity uh, fundraiser appeal. Uh, people were discussing, I mean, they were talking but principally about basketball and baseball teams where, you know, the nature of those games being a little bit more episodic. I mean, basketball less so than baseball, but they at least have things like free throws and timeouts where you could incorporate a little bit more almost like interactive content where, you know, players and or people in the team could actually interact with the TV show, which I thought was potentially a good idea. Cause if you're taking away the intimacy of the crowd and the intimacy of the, like, you know, the live experience in one way, you could maybe replace it with another, but like, man, I really think these, these, these guys to are going to be terrible. The one thing that we don't broadcast, but that we do have is the communication between referees. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, that is something we could put up on, onto the, you know, television feed. Which I think is going to be interesting. I mean, uh, Dennis Eitekin, he did so for German television for one for for an episode of Sportschau, uh, which displayed how he interacts and how he communicates with players, which was uh, utterly fascinating because you could see that a he does have um, he is a rather you know the players respect him and b he doesn't really fear talking roughly to those players, which was nice to see. So he could he could give as good as he got, which uh, I, I do respect in a man. Final question from the listeners is from Et Bierdeutsches, uh, John, who wonders uh, how the lack of European football has affected or is affecting the Bundesliga. Well, I don't know, <laughs> to be honest, but the program that they have put in place looks like a European calendar for every team doesn't it? It does. It does. It, 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 in a way, I think it's going to sort of put some teams to the test who don't normally have that sort of a test that they have to be put to. I mean, teams, you know, teams who haven't really had a taste of Europe in some time, you know, your, your Mainz's, your, you know, Bremen's for that matter, who don't play a lot of English of uh, are going to do it. I think three times is how many times they're going to, they're going to be doing it. And all those teams who do normally have to do it, you know, your Leipzig's and Dortmund's, et cetera, it's going to feel normal to them. It, it it'll be it'll be interesting because I feel like there's not that many. How many how many German teams are still in Europe at this point? Five, maybe something like that. Uh, Dortmund Dortmund got out of the Champions League shortly before we all stopped playing football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in in the mists of my memory, I, I think I can barely recall that. So I don't think it's going to be a huge competitive advantage slash disadvantage. Like it's not that like oh now now Bayern don't have Europe to worry about. They're going to just let it rip because yeah, they, they still got to play as many games as everybody else. They still got to do those English of offer. So I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Matt, are you are you ready for a bit of Bundesliga history? Lay it on me, big boy. You know Franz Beckenbauer, right? Uh, we've never met. 
But I'm familiar with him, let's just say. Well, Americans are familiar with his work. Uh, he played for the New York Cosmos, after all. And uh, legend has it that one of the Cosmos directors was um, actually rather surprised when he saw Der Kaiser on the pitch, shouting in one of his executive boxes, Why do you pay so much money for one guy who's just standing there at the back? So, um, Football America has certainly come a long way, and so did Kaiser Franz after he finished off his career. He has become somewhat of a very famous ad figure. I mean, name the product, Franz Beckenbauer probably has shot an ad about it, or been in some sort of newspaper ad campaign. It all started during the World Cup in 1966. During the tournament in England, Der Kaiser could tell the German TV audiences, the German TV audience, that eating the right kind of soup is important. So the producer Knorr paid Der Kaiser a pretty penny in order to make him say these words. Kraft in den Teller, Knorr auf den Tisch. Well, the sentence roughly translates to Knorr on the plate means energy on the plate. That That is a great sentence, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, and, you know, it's it's delivered in the Kaiser's inimitable style. I mean, I remember during the, the World Cup in 2006, he also was uh, on TV a lot, let's just say. He, he doesn't <laughs> mind sitting in front of a camera and talking. Well, he actually had three takes of that one, and then it was recorded. It was actually recorded in his house, believe it or not. Uh He later on would say, uh, you know, these days I'm flying all around the world to do these ads. Back then it was just recorded at my house. In 2004, uh, De Kaiser was actually on the road for 330 days, uh, being both in charge of uh, Germany trying to get the World Cup or organizing the World Cup. And, you know, a lot of ad time uh, he was on. So things developed ever since, uh, since the World Cup in England. And if you do... A Google image search for Franz Beckenbauer on ads, you'll get a whole bunch of results. My favorite one is the Hermetic 2000, which was an um, electric shaver that he advertised for during the World Cup in 1974. Let's have a look at that one. Franz Beckenbauer actually has had people in German newspapers write up ads about him because he's had so many damn ad contracts at the same time that... People were literally littered with TV ads featuring Kaiser Franz on German television during the 90s and early 2000s. At times, he actually had seven different products he was advertising at the same time. It's incredible. Any favorites, by the way? Nah, I mean, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> I can't say that I find him all that uh, sympathetic. Let's just say a figure, especially in that you know, the more <laughs> we learn about his participation in in. For example, Germany's uh, garnering of the World Cup and some of the uh, the backroom deals that were maybe cut. I don't know. Uh, I think I think Der Kaiser's best is is long, long behind him, and and any any Vorbildsfunktion that he once had is <laughs> is pretty much uh, uh, gone away now. Well, talking about millions uh, millions of euros changing hands, it's needless to say that Franz Beckenbauer actually millions and millions and millions of euros from from these ads. However, where there is a Bayern player, there usually tends to be a bit of controversy, and with Beckenbauer and his ads. That controversy came in the 1990s, because back then he was advertising for a mobile phone service provider called E+, featuring the tagline 
Hallo? Ja, ist denn heute schon Weihnachten? Yes, is it Christmas already, Kaiser Franz wanted. As it turns out, another cell phone provider called O2 wanted to snatch up Beckenbauer. They did so, which meant that he left E plus hanging. But to make matter worse, O2 decided to hire the same ad agency that had come up with that tagline for the E plus spot. Needless to say, the ad agency thought, well, if it isn't broken, just keep it in place. So Kaiser Franz made another set of ads for O2 featuring the same tagline. Is it Christmas already? Which then prompted E plus to take this to the courts, which in turn was the best gift to that ad agency because they managed to get Dieter Bohlen, a very another famous German figure uh, from the band Modern Talking, onto the television screen alongside Kaiser Franz, pestering Kaiser Franz to say that tagline, and he's just sat in the ad, well, I can't. And that was what the entire ad consists about. So there, that is a bit of a history about Kaiser Franz's ad work, but... Get to the phone sex operator part. Yes, get to that. Well, here it comes. Um, to sweeten the deal, uh, O2 actually had decided to give Kaiser Franz his personalized phone number. So Peckenbauer could basically have chosen any phone number in the entire world he could dream of. And he chose 0176, which is basically the number of the service provider and then comes the personalized bit which was six 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 another six one more six and you may have guessed it the sixth number is also a six and the seventh number is a six yeah and and if you speak german and you have uh the maturity level of uh, an 11 year old boy which apparently uh, <laughs> der kaiser does of... that number says sex 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 <laughs> so there turns out a lot of lonely men had the same maturity level and decided to call up that number having a hunch that this might be a, you know, a phone sex operating line. So, once Kaiser Franz was given that number, his phone went off the hook at all hours. Especially in the evenings, there were pretty much only men looking for sexual gratification on the other end of the line, panting, breathing heavily. And, you know, the general level of horniness from these men got a bit to Kaiser Franz in the end and prompted him to change that number. But, um, you know, as, as choosing numbers go, <laughs> this is pretty much one of my favorite stories about how a German football agent really fell out on his ass. And um, I, I first heard about this story, by the way, on a Norwegian football podcast called Dritte Halbzeit, which you should listen to if you know a bit of Norwegian. But there we go. Um, Kaiser Franz and his artwork. What a story. All right. Is, is that enough for a, a giant maxi episode of Talking Foosball to prepare us for the return of the Bundesliga? I think it is. Yes, all that's left to say is really um, follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at TalkingFoosball. Give us a like on Facebook. Rate us on iTunes. People can follow you on Twitter at Mr. Matt Herman, isn't it? At Mr. Matt Herman. Follow me at No Musings. We will be back with Match Day 26. We will be back with some actual matches come May 18th, probably. Yeah, well... May 16th. Well, uh, 
Yes, there you go. May 18th for That's you. That's right. Theater so then, man. and we will be back with an episode after that. Until then, stay safe. Just some next to y'all.